Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy, and hello, Will. <laughs> and our tactics guy, and a man who lives in Plague House on Plague Street, <laughs> Plague County on Plague Island, it's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Well, that's me. That's me. You've managed to avoid it, though, mate. I, I believe I have so far. To date. Yeah, today. Not only that, you've you've been um, you've been giving sterling room service to your parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, it feels there are probably people who listen to this podcast who are like you know caring for kids and also working full time jobs. So I don't want to be like, wow, I've done a few days of like. <laughs> cooking for other people and i'm exhausted but basically there's not been any patreon content this week because <laughs> but my, my parents okay, my parents are or well, my parents have both had the virus maybe still have the virus and um and have been uh, staying in their rooms so i've been uh and they're also foster carers so there's also a foster child to care for fortunately uh, my girlfriend is here to to carry at least half the weight um and help me out so the two of us are pretty pretty tired from it all but the main thing is you've managed to avoid it to date yeah yeah, yeah, and not spread anywhere else either. So yeah, good stuff. Uh, there's so much to talk about. We're we're a day late. Obviously, we need to acknowledge that we're a day late. Um, we, I don't think we need to say why, <laughs> but it does feel slightly discombobulating. I think in this case, it's actually really helpful that we're recording day late, <laughs> yeah, a bit definitely. of extra time to process the last week of being a Spurs fan. And uh, one one little bit of admin news. Um, I, I tweeted out. A couple of weeks ago that we're looking for sponsors for the podcast what we'd like to do is is have a headline sponsor each month um we think we can add a lot of value to your to your business we are very happy to say we found an excellent headline sponsor for march but if you'd be interested in sponsoring the extra inch for april may june just get in touch 
podcast at theexchange.co.uk. I'll let you know um, what we can do. Um, James Marriott Lowe says, I was wondering in light of the disgraceful Kurt Zuma incident, whether you could maybe quickly share the Wood Green Animal Charity. They're a charity locals Tottenham and have been running for nearly 100 years and they do such great work. Maybe just a brief mention on the podcast would be wonderful. And yes, James, we're very, very happy to do that. So support.woodgreen.org.uk is the charity. Go and have a look. Um, I think the Kurt Zoom incident has been um, discussed in some detail on on all other forums. There's not much left to say about it, but obviously utterly abhorrent, utterly appalling. Uh, And yeah, I think that's a lovely thing that James has suggested. People who... who, uh, have some spare money, go support Wood Green Animal Charity. We've also had several emails about um, Lucas and the kind of fallout from from what we discussed, i.e. his Twitter likes, liking transphobic content most recently. Uh, I'm not going to name the people that have been in touch because I'm not sure if they'd be happy to be named, didn't check with them. Uh, But if you feel upset about Lucas's Twitter likes, if you feel like they go against your what you believe the club is is saying they're about, that is inclusivity, then you could write to the club at supporter services at tottenhotspur.com to express that view. I think that would be a constructive thing to do. Um, we we tried to pass our message on as well. Uh, Nathan obviously has been occupied with uh, with his p- parental support this week, so no Patreon. Uh, content got, from him. I've got some stuff lined up. I had, I had, I had a video that I was about to record um, on my own. I think I'm now going to do that with the X Subs live. Nice. Maybe this week, maybe the week after, um, and then I've got other stuff lined up. So it will, it should click into gear once I'm going again. And Bardi Wednesday night is Latin night. A bit like um, people of a certain age would remember their parents would just disappear to the school hall like once a week for like <laughs> they'd learn how Samba to classes. dance. Samba classes, salsa. Um, join us, join me on Discord uh, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, to watch me um, put the final nail in my coffin as a as a manager of Argentinian players. They they just a bit like the Celso. They just don't travel properly to the to the UK. So I'm pretty sure within two hours I'll be fired. So if you like watching Italians get fired, join join. You can probably see an Italian get fired earlier than the Conte. So come along and watch. <laughs> Nice. Uh, let's get stuck in to the two matches. We're gonna. What we sometimes do is we we talk about the matches uh, in anti chronological order because it's easier for us to talk about the most recent match because it's fresher in the memory. But I think in this case, it's it's probably better that we tackle them in chronological order. Not least because I think they're quite different games and um, and one feeds on from the other. I think. Uh, so starting off with Southampton. And we always start with a lineup. No surprises on this occasion, really. I think it was kind of what we expected. Strong, strong starting lineup, but of course, still missing Eric Dyer, Oliver Skip. Uh, I will admit that I was a bit frustrated that Sanchez was starting again. I, I thought that perhaps after some previous poor performances, we might see Roden, or we might even see a, a surprise, maybe a, a move to a back four. Uh, but alas, no. Um, I guess we're gonna we're gonna get stuck into Tottenham on this one, a bit like Southampton did. Bardi, tell us about Southampton's incredible press and and what you made of that game. For, for the first three or four minutes, I thought we were doing okay. Yeah, and then it just it just fell apart. The Southampton were incredible. They were helped in in large chunks to to us being pretty pedestrian and pretty slow. And 
I, I thought once we once we got in the lead, I thought we'd be okay. I thought we'd see it out, but this at the moment this is not a Tottenham team that's that's stable, that's strong, that's got any kind of strength to it, and it just seems unable to grind out difficult moments. And I think that's kind of what happened with Wolves, what's happened with Chelsea in the past, and just when it when it really matters, they they do crumble. And I don't know if this is. I don't think it's a mentality thing. I think a lot of this down is down to ability. I think Conte's done a lot of good things here, but I've got a funny feeling he may have um, tapped out with this group of players in this formation, missing Dyer and Skip. I'm not sure there's much more to come with with that Southampton starting lineup. Anyway, they I thought were pretty special. Um, Hassan Hootel is is a a very specific coach. He's a dogmatic coach. He he has his system. He sticks to it. Um, through the good and through the bad, two nine nils, Spurs absolutely tearing Southampton apart in transitions previously under Mourinho, notably. On this occasion, the press that we sometimes see with Southampton drops off after 50, 55, 60 minutes, seemed to continue throughout the game, and we could not get out, basically. Um, I, I just, I'm going to challenge that. I think. Southampton were broken and they were accepting the fact that they were going to lose this game. And then they, they, they had one final press and it broke Winks. And Winks turned into the press and Southampton just went, oh, hello, we're still in this game. And that almost rejuvenated them. I, I do think Southampton were broken when we went 2-1 up and we just allowed it. Just We just allowed them to get back into the game. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to go in on Harry Winks all podcast. I mean, we can save that for, for Wolves, but there, there's there's key fundamental parts of this Conte formation which aren't working and something needs to give here. Either Conte switches up or, um, well, the players aren't going to improve it. And I think that's the, that's the sad bit about where we are right now. So I would I would sort of push back on that a little and say that I see the two games as quite different performances, really. Yeah. Um, Southampton, I felt, was just a complete tactical mismatch. They they had the extra amount of advantage in midfield, and we could not cope with the the onslaught of the press. They were so brave in um, in the way they went for us. Um, a lot's been made of James Ward-Prowse, who was obviously outstanding, and I think he was voted man of the match by Southampton fans. But I thought Stuart Armstrong was fantastic as well and really pivotal in their in their pressing and performance. But the thing is that it was... I do take your point, Barty, that we got to a point where we did have a foothold in the game. We got ahead and we, we from that point, we should have seen it out. We definitely should have seen it out. Um, but they were they also were creating opportunities throughout mm-hmm. the match as well. I mean, Shea Adams had a chance after three minutes. I mean, he, he made... I think it was Regulon um, was ball watching and, and he snuck in behind... Uh, it was a mess, an absolute mess, um, and, and he should have scored probably a, I would hazard a guess at a 0.5 xG chance shot from from close range. Nathan, what did you make of it? Uh, so, I mean, the, the thing is with doing it in this order, right, uh, and separating the matches is that like I came away from the Southampton game, like I wasn't expecting Spurs to lose really either of these matches. I thought, Same. you know, I thought there was uh, four points plus from these two. I thought that. I mean, I said as much in the previous episodes. Like, we had a bad time against Chelsea, but I think we're in a good place now, mm-hmm. and we'll have some easier games. And we, you know, the Leicester game was brilliant, and everything else. Um, so I was definitely quite optimistic about these fixtures. Um, and then the Southampton game ha- happened, and I thought, look, okay, we stumbled over this one. We had a rough time, but I was really, really impressed with Southampton. Thought that their pressing game was was really impressive. So they they 
they pressed in the four four two shape, mm-hmm. um, but they had their right winger play much more advanced in the press, like a sort of wonky um, four three three, where the option to Davies is closed down uh, quite early, and and Davies and Regulon are consistently mm-hmm. uh, forced to play backwards passes, and they're allowed to circulate the ball over to the other side where they're sitting deeper, so that Davinson and Emerson can receive the ball and then only when they're receiving the ball or once they've received the ball to Southampton then go over and press that side and trap the pass back to through Romero and uh and, and also pounce on Hoivier and Winks from that position and get the turnovers there and I thought they did a really good job so huh, even we have to go back before that right because we played Brighton and in the Brighton game there was the surprise thing of of Romero was playing central and Davinson's mm-hmm. playing on the right sides at the back three and I thought wow that you know in possession, that was a really good switch because I, I said, again, I said on that podcast, like, you can imagine the game where if Davinson had played the central, Brian set up to shut down Davinson on the ball. So it worked for that game. But once you've shown your hands, right, a good pressing size like Southampton can can prepare for Davinson being on the right and set their traps up for the right side of the pitch, especially when Royale is... I mean, I don't think he's even, like, especially bad on the ball. I don't think... I think he's just in a, low, a place of low confidence at the moment because of his attacking output. He looks shakier than he than his baseline, really, you know? Um, I don't think it should be a huge worry about him operating in, in build-up that much. Um, certainly not as bad as it looked in this game. Uh, but nevertheless, I thought they 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 just did a really good job of of making things horrible for Davinson and Emerson Royale. Um, and and regardless of where Davinson plays, it's going to continue to be a problem when he does because because Conte's he's not going to let go of wanting to play out the back. That is absolutely fundamental. Of course, sometimes we're going to play long, we're going to play direct, but um, but the the long slow build up between the three centre backs is is absolutely fundamental to 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 Conte's principles. So. I don't know, it's weird because before these two games, Conte went to the press and said, I really like Davinson Sanchez. He's he's a good defender. I like him. And I'm sure that did, like... He's did a, he's... he? Did he? I'm not sure I read the quotes in the same way. I, I saw them as a kind okay. of... Because he said something like... Um, oh, I can't remember the wording, but it kind of implied that there was work to do to improve. But like he had more to give, more to improve on. Um, okay. And I think post post both of these matches... He's now he got asked about Roden specifically, and I think that the implication of being asked about Roden was why the hell is, is Sanchez still in the team when you've got a guy like Roden who's who can play the ball. who's better and much better on the ball than Sanchez? You know, of course, there's a trade down in terms of experience, certainly in Premier League experience, but he's um, much more competent in possession. And Conte hinted that perhaps he has made a mistake. Uh, and I think that's the first acknowledgement I've seen of Conte uh, in, as a Spurs, Spurs manager saying anything like perhaps I've made a mistake. And so okay. I do think he perhaps acknowledges that Sanchez has been a poor pick. Um, and look, I'm, I'm not going to, I don't like singling out players because I think particularly in a match like Southampton, I think there were poor performances across the pitch. But I do and- think if Dyer was in the team instead of Sanchez, the games, are to- both of those matches are totally different. I'm not absolutely certain that Dyer comes back in. We have three technical centre backs, all of pressing is solved completely. I don't want to like go as far as saying like you change Devonson out for a technical, technical, um, skilled centre back, and we become incredibly hard to press because I don't think we're there yet. Um, but definitely it would be a significant ease on these kinds of things, and that's mm-hmm. why I think that just 
that I'm glad that Devonson had a good Davinson has had a good run recently. I'm glad that he sort of improved his stock and and moved a little away from the the sort of laughing stuff he became under Mourinho. But he isn't suited to the type of football that we want to play. Yeah, um, he's, really. he's, a, he's a good player for another system. And I think maybe maybe if he's the central centre back and the goalkeeper is a technical ball player, then you could afford to have like one of those two players as, as a simplified role. But as we saw, and again, I'm sort of jumping ahead, as we saw against Wolves, it's like <laughs> you've got, you got two weaknesses in your deepest four players. Um, it's, it's a problem, you know? So I just don't think, yeah. The, the other solution is the 3-5-2. We saw where Winks drops in to, to, to become part of um, build, it, build up. And I, I think that work, that, sh- that was demonstrably worked really really nicely we sort of allowed Winks to drop into the center of the defense and he helped support getting the ball out from the back and then once you've broken that first line of press it, it does change things but Conte is so against the 3-5-2 for whatever reason He's- maybe maybe we'll see it I'm not sure I also don't want to put that much stock again in another thing in 3-5-2 in um, I like the 3-5-2 uh, I think it is better suited to our squad I think it could help with some of these problems um, but I get like I said I'd like to tweet out saying like don't just assume that Skip and Benton Core is just going to instantly solve our problems don't yeah. assume that Dyer coming back is going to instantly solve all our problems and don't think that a 3-5-2 is going to instantly solve and now I think a combination of all of those things mm. uh, you know could definitely improve things make mm. things a lot better mm. um, but I don't think it's just a complete uh, an easy solvable with a sort of a, a quick switch for those things I want to talk about expected goals quickly because um, it was close on expected goals from from models that use Optus numbers but Statsform had it I think they had 2.6 for Southampton uh, 1.5 for us um, and I think they have a better model that takes into consideration sort of defensive positioning uh, and pressure on the ball um, I think Southampton snatched at their chances. I think that they, they had a much better tactical game, but maybe their forwards aren't as, you know, if, if Kane and Son are in the positions that Southampton players got into, they sort of took early shots where maybe um, yeah. our forwards in those situations either would have just scored those early chances or worked better ones. Um, so I, I, they had they had an enormous number of shots. They had, what was it, 24 more? 20, whatever. They had, they had, they had a huge, they, they really outplayed us that game. Uh, and I do think a, a lot of it is tactical. Um, the the really frustrating thing about that is, although they did completely outperform us, uh, the, the two goals that turned it round were just crosses. They're just the ball being popped into into a danger area. And I say that as if they haven't got James Ward Prowse on the team, who's just an absolutely exceptional crosser of the ball, who we gave far too much space to. But it is still really frustrating to see goals that can fundamentally be defended against, or should be should be able to be easily defended against in an organized structured team there were there were problems um with both of those goals um so if i talk about the second goal um so regulon first he's very passive against ward prowse at that point in the game which is um uh, walker peters rather uh, which is really really annoying to, to see because actually if you apply some pressure at the wings you, you try and stop the ball coming in in the first place you're, you're cutting out at source and then Walprouse does receive it under no pressure at all from either Bentancourt or Son, who are the nearest two players to him. Um, and Klesevsky checks his shoulder twice and doesn't go with Elianusi, who, who makes the break into the box, which is which is very annoying. Uh, and then Emerson Royale's got his marker, but he realises at the last minute that Elianusi's made a break in and he, has to, he tries to get to him, but he can't, it's too late. And, and that was really irritating. And then the third goal... Son again is is slow to anticipate Ward Prowse receiving the ball, 
um, uh, Southampton essentially just put four men in the box, create a 4v4, which is, is going to be tricky to defend against. And, and they're very good on their overloads. They know what they're doing, uh, particularly when Ward-Prowse has got the ball at his feet. Um, Emerson sort of makes a move to come back into position from where he'd been trying to stop a cross out on the right. And Sanchez has Adams, but leaves him when when Armstrong makes his way into the box. Uh, so he just essentially leaves the eventual goal score. He took a gamble. It's one of those where sometimes it's going to pay off, sometimes it's not. But in hindsight, it looks really, really bad. But what I would say is both goals came from um, uh, men running behind Sanchez, between Sanchez and Emerson. So not only was the plan that Nathan mentioned earlier to allow Sanchez and Emerson to have the ball, to play out and to stop Davis and Regalon having the ball to play out, but they were also making effective runs in that channel between the two. So they'd really identified that weakness in our backline and and my God, did they make it count um, in the same way that we did against Leicester where two, two quick goals just completely destroyed our confidence and our chance of getting anything out of the game. That, that right-hand side for Tottenham is a huge problem right now. Um, wherever Royale is, mentally, it's, it's not in a, he's not in a good place. And I can understand why Doherty started the next game. That triangle between Sanchez, um, Royale and Lucas is, is perhaps one of the worst I've ever seen at Tottenham. It's, it's a mess in terms of being able to progress the ball out. Down the left-hand side, it's okay. Between Sun, Davies and Reguillon, we can move out there. But if they force us into the right-hand side, it's, it's, it's chaos. And um, that's where the majority of our problems seem to come from. That's where they got their two winning goals from. And it's it's just it's just a really sad mess. And you can see in their body language, the way they move, the way they talk to each other, there's just no confidence there in those guys being able to build out and survive even the slightest bit of pressure because we are that side is is crumbling under the tiny even not even not even a proper press probably half a press and it, it's a mess. Mm. So Conte did try to do something about that for the Wolves game. He he did some some strategic rotation. We saw the wing backs and Huibier rotated out, uh, which I thought was a sensible move. We we played two games in quick succession. We've got another two coming up in fairly quick succession. That seemed like a fairly logical step I mean, to me. I think before we before we move on to Wolves, I, I do think we need to acknowledge Bentancur's debut. I thought I thought that was a I thought in amongst a lot of rubbish. I thought it was a sparkling debut and gave me a lot of hope. Fair enough, fair enough. And we can definitely talk about him uh, against Wolves, his first start too. Um, so so Doherty comes in and Sessegnon comes in and Bentancor comes in. Um, and, and I was thinking, that seems that seems fine. Bardi, I, get, I bet you were celebrating Hjolbjerg being benched, I imagine. Yeah, I was very happy. I thought he was poor against Southampton. This isn't me pushing an agenda. I just thought he was rubbish. And I've been I've been waiting for us to be able to play a midfield that didn't have him in because I was hoping for something a little bit more. I was hoping we'd continue to see the Winks that has been promising to break free. But no, it was um, a revert to type for Winks. And it was almost, I, now, I, I, unbelievably, until Skip is fit, I want to see Hjoyberg and Ben Tankor back in. So I think... Um... I think the Wolves game was a much, much better performance overall from Spurs, but it was completely undermined from the very beginning by by Hugo Lloris. I, I don't know... We've not seen Lloris look that sort of edgy for Spurs for quite some time. Um, the, the, the first incident, the initial incident, the, the first goal, was just a series, a catalogue of mistakes from, from Lloris, which I think kind of... 
I don't know. I, I, I don't know if he's making the defence nervous, whether they're making him nervous, whether it's a bit of both. But it was disastrous, absolutely disastrous. And essentially it was game over within a few minutes just because of that, that rough 10-minute spell from um, Lloris. And I don't know whether... The, the, if if those goals, if if Luis hadn't done what he did, you know, firstly, essentially palming the ball back out into the danger area twice in a row, and then playing a really really sloppy pass out to Davis, I don't know whether the game would have been different. But my suspicion is it would have been. I don't know whether we'd have won it, but I, I don't think we'd have necessarily lost it. Um, but I thought the performance overall was a lot better, particularly the second half against Wolves. Uh, that said, Bardi, for the second game in a row, the home crowd were booing at half time. Yes, we were 2 we were 0 down and we weren't playing great. There's, there, and this is, on, this is on the back of three Premier League. This, well, it became our third Premier League defeat, but that's three defeats in a row. And there's the same, the same kind of cracks and the same problems appearing. There was. It was a shocking performance from Doherty, from Sanchez, from Wink, from Winks, and the mistakes just compounded it all. And there's that photo which has been doing the rounds on social media. I'm not sure if you've seen it, Wendy, but there's five Tottenham defenders, five Tottenham players watching Wolves score that first goal, and it was that sense of time of of things happening, and the only people reacting to the ball bouncing around the area was Wolves, and that's always a problem, and that's that's something that that the crowd senses. It's almost a lack of urgency, a lack of you know caring, lack of effort and that's what always the crowd pick up on first it, it was an appalling goal to concede from the defense and the goalkeeper I think that um that photo is it kind of people are using it as a kind of explanation for Spurs's bad defending because it felt like we defended in a statuesque way at times in that match but I think that photo specifically is a really poor example to to, to draw upon uh, because so much that goal was such a bizarre goal it was like Basically, never we defend a free kick, uh, and the players that are in the photo, kind of circled by whoever's put it out there, are in a very reasonable position to defend the free kick, move out, and then block, try and block Neves's shot. And then once Neves has had the shot, five seconds pass between that and the ball going in the back of the net, and the ball changes directions in such a stark way three times in in that period. So it's like each time they start to go and make a movement. The ball's going in a different direction, so I kind of don't know what the players are meant to do. Like Kane's obviously waiting to get on the counter attack. He thinks the save's going to be made. The ball's going to bounce out to the edge of the box. He's going to counter. Same with Son. Um, Bentancur and, and Winks and Davis eventually make their way back in towards the six yard box to try and get blocks in. But um, yeah, I, I don't think the pitch is a great example, but I think it kind of expresses a frustration that Spurs fans have with the defending as a whole. I mean, there were so many mistakes defensively in the Wolves game uh, from that Davis goal. and from Sanchez in particular. That goal could have been cut and paste from something Spurs would have done in the nineties. That's that's the reaction that I felt. I was just like it was it was a situation that was unfolding and nobody seemed willing to to stop it from happening. And perhaps perhaps Dyer, just with his his physical his, his size of his head, would have got in the way and it would have been cleared. But they did lack they, they lacked somebody to go hunting after that ball and clear it. That's the problem. I was watching the um, I was watching the highlights of Juventus against Atalanta the other the other night, and there was just this magnetism. Delict has his problems as a as a defender, but there was this magnetism that the ball would just arrive at him and he'd block it and get in the way. And it's something that Dyer does have, and I think there was a huge huge hole there where Dyer would have just got his cubed head on it and it would have got away. But I do think um, I, I agree with you that the photo is is misleading, but it does kind of sum up the the feeling that happened in the ground when that goal went in. 
Um, Nathan, Bruno Large has specifically referenced um, the, the extra man advantage that his team had in midfield. They brought in a, a, a youth player, Kundal, for his, his first start. He played in midfield. Wolves normally play 3-4-3. He played 3-5-2 with, with Pedence and Jimenez up front. They had the man advantage in the first half. They certainly sort of pressed that home. Um, what did you make of this one tactically? Um, yeah, I th- there's definitely in both these games and beyond them, there's definitely a, an element where teams are aware of and applying a, a man advantage in midfield. And then you saw that we changed to a, a 4-2-3-1 at halftime mm-hmm. and Kulusevsky to play the 10 roles to, to match them up in midfield. But I think also there's a specific man advantage where four of these five goals we're talking about here, um, four of these five goals are from crosses, deep crosses from the right-hand side, right? And they're all the same thing where essentially... Uh, whether it's from a free kick or from open play or whatever, um, the ball has gone to a wide right position. Um, that's where Regulon or Sessignon is meant to be, and, and they aren't really doing much wrong there. Um, they are joined and doubled up on by the near side, whether it is um, a forward who's gone all the way back there or more likely a, a midfielder who's drifted out there, um, supported by a second defender. They play a, a cutback, because we're now or not a cutback that's not the right word they play a pass back to um a deeper uh, opposition player in that sort of right half space and spurs are really flattened out because of the initial pass out to the wing back and it is the goal that ericsson assisted for delhi twice against conte's chelsea right um because conte has his back five be so uh in line and passive uh, this is going to happen sometimes, right? Which is not to say Winks couldn't have done better on this particular one or Emerson and Davinson couldn't have done better repeatedly or Hugo couldn't have done better not palming the ball directly back down to a Wolves player. All of those things, you can make those individual critiques and and without those individual mistakes, the the tactical problem can, can go away. Um, but the ability to flatten out a Conte team and play um, the deep cross to far post... Is, is definitely a, a pre-existing weakness and this is going to happen uh, and is on him. I think, I do think that the the five three two is a little better at defending the situation than the 3-4-3. Um, but I don't, again, like I said before, I don't think that just instantly switching to a three-man midfield there means that we can't concede that exact, ch- exact chance again. But it, it's definitely a thing and it's definitely a thing that teams are setting up for, right? Play it to the, mainly it's coming from the right, but... <laughs> I think we'll, we will also see it from the left before the season is out, right? Uh, you play it up to, to your, to a, a fullback in a really high and wide position. They play it back to the, whether it's the winger or midfielder, the midfielder or winger first time crosses it to the far post, uh, where an attacker puts themselves between, um, the center back, the wide center back and the wing back at the far post. Um, and again, that is a position that can be defended, right? Davinson can not get drawn so far over. Um, Emerson can have better awareness of what's going on around him and compete better in the air. Uh, but yeah, this is just kind of a thing with uh, with with um, the sort of Conte deep block, basically. I think that's a really, really good point. I think there are three things Spurs can and probably will do to fix it. One is that you've already referenced the move to three five two. Um, I'm not 100% sure he's going to do this, but I think he might for a couple of games just to shore things up. Um, I think having three midfield rather than two means you've got a, if you space them out in the same way, you've got a, more of a spread across midfield. You've got more protection for the wing back. Um, James Ward-Prowse, for example, isn't in acres of space for that cross in. 
that helps. The other thing is having Oliver skip back. I mean, obviously we've noticed the absence in skip. He doesn't show up incredibly in the data at the moment. In fact, he looks worse than, than Huibier, um, which is some would think is surprising. But on the eye test, our midfield is noticeably worse without Oliver skip. He covers ground really effectively, anticipates danger really, really well. I think he would get out and he would, he would stop crosses coming in far more effectively than, for example, Harry Winks. Um, and the other thing is is Davinson Sanchez not not being the right side of the centre back. I think having a, a better having Romero there instead of Sanchez gives you much better protection at the far post. I think he's he's more switched on to what's going on around him. I think he's a natural um, naturally better defender, and I think that helps a, a great deal too. So I'm hoping that these are this is a blip that these are things that are fixable partly by personnel and partly by tweaks. Um, But it's really frustrating to see the same sort of goal being conceded multiple times across two matches in quick succession. It just sort of feels... uh, It it feels like that Conte is making mistakes that he doesn't need to be making, and that is very annoying. That said, you know, the mistakes on the pitch that have led directly to goals are inexcusable too. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I feel not as bad about this defeat. The Southampton one was, was a gut punch, but this one, like Nathan says, there, there were some good things in this game. There, we saw some stuff from Betancourt. We saw some stuff from Kulisevsky. Romero continues to be a good defender. There's some really good players there. And with a couple of tweaks alongside him, I think we can come out of this. I think we're in a bad place right now, but I don't think this is terminal. Um, I am concerned, though, about Winks, and I think I think he needs to be dropped for Hjoiberg. And I am concerned about our right wing back, and the switch to a back four made sense. And I'm, I am a little bit worried about Sessignon. He had a poor first few minutes, but he didn't seem to be able to shake himself out of it. And it, it's something that maybe... I don't know, we always talk about mentality and it's very difficult to judge, but he seemed to just go within himself after after making a couple of mistakes and him being substituted was harsh, but he received a good a good reception from the crowd as he walked around. Yeah, I think that's just because Ben Davies is um, mm. the way that we can move between a four and a three, he just is the natural 
uh, a victim. I don't think it was a, a critique yeah. of his It would definitely have been Doherty rather than Sessegnon. Sure. Uh, surely, well, surely. The other option is that he could have taken Doherty off and moved Sessegnon over to the right. So he didn't do that, it says a little bit, I guess, mm. um, but not a huge amount. I don't know. I, I do think um, whereas Southampton outplayed us, set up better tactically, had their best performance maybe under Hasnu or, you know, fair enough. Wolves one is more we throwing this away with a yeah. really poor start and, and mistakes. And for that reason, the Wolves one is more frustrating to me. Even though we came back into it, I I do think that there is like a, a mental thing there where we, we fail to say, hey, this game is still up for grabs. We can we can swing back two goals. Look at what we did against Leicester. And I think that mm. we... I, 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 I expect from Spurs under Conte in the near future, if not now, to be more resilient and better at, at turning those games around. And I thought that we, you know, we had a few chances, um, but we didn't really push the point. And I think that we should have pushed the point in the in the second half of that game. Yeah, I, I do find so it. Buddy. I do find it concerning that we have no one running beyond that. We played against two teams that have quite a high line, but not once was there the option. Not once did Son or Lucas offer the option to run in behind, which I thought was very strange. I think that's a really interesting point, and I would add um, that I thought Kane had a really good game against against Wolves in a lot of his build up play. But uh, both Kane and Son were quite indecisive in the final third. Um, Son had that moment where the ball just got away from his just got away from his dribble, which was really frustrating because it felt like that was going to be a goal. But there were numerous other moments where the build-up was really good and then something would just go wrong and the move would break down. I thought um, what was really promising was uh, Klusevsky's, um vision on the part, some really nice passes from him that, that was encouraging. Bentancourt moves the ball really nicely, although I really do not like the combination of Bentancourt and, and Winks. I, I think that is not a good combination. I think it's a fine combination for having the ball, as we showed in the second half, but it's not a good combination when we haven't got the ball in the first half. Neither of them are good enough defensively to play, to sort of make that a workable pivot option. I mean, Benting- I mean, obviously, Bentancur is still learning the system right now. I think he's good defensively. It's inter- I thought, like, under Southampton's pressure, Winks did a lot better than Hoybier, but under Wolves' possession, we missed Hoybier and yeah. Winks wasn't much use. You know, it's kind of like, That's it. here are two players who are good at one thing and bad at the other. 100%. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Winks is Winks is very good at controlling possession. That's his game. That's kind of what he does. He's a, an ideal player for a possession team. If it, and that's why he came to the fore in the second half. And I thought Winks actually had a really strong second half against Wolves. A lot. He got a lot oh. of criticism, that's and right. rightly for his first half. But in the second half, he played some good passes and he played them early, and I liked that. He kept, sort of came back from a very difficult first half. Uh, he did. He he showed something then. The first half, he he was he did hide a little bit, but. That kind of progressive passing that we've seen at moments from Winks, it's 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 gone again. I don't I don't I didn't see him. There was times when the ball could have been switched first time, or it could have been played long, and um, he shied away from it like he like he was doing under Mourinho and under Nuno. Hugo Lloris is a very good goalkeeper. He's very very good at the most important thing a goalkeeper can do, which is stopping shots. But the intention at Spurs is to just keep banking on him for more and more years, and I think that. I think that these errors are going to slowly pick up and I think mm. that we should have a more long time long term plan about what we're going to do with our goalkeeper and we should consider the type of football that that 
not Mourinho, but you know the style of football that we're aiming for and his suitability to that. We should recognise his age and that he still has some sell-on value and we should be thinking about uh, a first-choice quality goalkeeper who is a more rounded player to come in rather than just say... And I know that like Conte likes him and has said, yeah, let's 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 get an extension here, but we should use that extension to also be looking to, to, to move him on and replace him. Like Jose Sarf, that I haven't... I know the stats. I've seen the stats, the clean sheets and everything else, but I haven't seen him in the flesh. This is the first time that I've seen him and he's he's a good goalkeeper. And he, he's not a young kid and that's he's a brilliant goalkeeper. Made good, good saves, really good with his feet. And yeah, when you come, like what Nathan said earlier, if you've got a bad defender who's no good on the ball, you can kind of cover it by having a good ball-playing goalkeeper. But yeah, if, we have both at the moment. If if Davinson's in the middle and every time he's scared, he just plays it back to Andre Onana, right? It's yeah. less of an issue. But yeah. uh, but that is just, you know, if he plays it back to Lloris, you know, turn the TV off because you, you don't want to see what happens next. I I do I do wonder what Ben Davies was doing against Wolves where he tried to play the ball out like both goals if if Hugo catches it it's not a goal and if Ben Davies just does a Benoit Asuakoto and just sticks it in Rosette it's not a goal it's it's um, worthy of critique the exact pass but like like we yeah. saw with Dyer against Burnley like Conte wants his centre backs to play those passes play the adventurous risky passes and you can say this one you've attempted here is poor for this exact reason. But this is going to happen sometimes, um, mm. even with our more technical or more creative, more capable centre-backs on the ball, I think. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to say that, that Matt Doherty is one of the st- most stiff footballers I've ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. <laughs> stiff is a really good um, a, a good critique. Stiff and he's got big hips and yeah. He has to like wind up to change direction. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I just sort of feel sorry for him at this point. The thing is, he's what he's really good at is the stuff off the ball. He's really good at timing a run into the box. He's really good at anticipating the position of defenders and getting on the end of stuff. He's really bad in possession, especially deep. So moving to right back was not what did not suit him at all. Um, he's so slow to react to anything. He's slow to react to the ball coming towards him. He's, he's slow to react defensively. Um, he does that thing where he receives the ball and he looks up and you think, oh, is he actually going to try and dribble? No, no, he's going to no. he's going to drop the shoulder and come inside again and then pass it backwards again. And it just means that all the pressure is on the other side, like on Regulon or in this case Ben Davis um, playing left back. And and like I'm not being funny, but Ben Davis isn't much better. You say you don't want Ben Davis to have the pressure on him to to progress the ball from the back. It's so as as much as Bardi has, has said that he's worried about Emerson, I'm far less worried about Emerson Royale than I am about yeah. Doherty. I, I mean, I think Emerson Royale is is a good player who's who's playing badly through a lack of confidence and through having Davinson Sanchez next to him. I think um, we need to first. I mean, the, the solutions in my head are play play three five two for a bit, have more cover in midfield, play an, another defensive player instead of Lucas. So you go you go Winks in the middle, and then you go um, Skip and Huey Bear alongside him, and or Bentancur in the middle and Skip and Huey Bear alongside him, or whoever, whatever the combination is. You drop Lucas out, and you've got that kind of solid start. You've got a solid, stable base to work from. And then slowly, someone like Emerson Royale can build confidence because he's having the ball in a team that's not giving up chances constantly. Plus, you know, Dyer coming back in means he's got Romero next to him, a really, really competent ball player who will actually work with Royale and make him better. 
I, I think that will help. I think I, I don't think we need to panic. I honestly still think top four is is on is a good ch- we've yeah. got a good shot at top four, as good a shot as Arsenal in my view, um, who are just as flimsy, have have as many problems if not more than us. Um, and and I, I definitely don't feel like this is top four over and done with for the season. But Conte does need to he does need to change some things. But Doherty is without doubt the worst right back in the league. I don't think there's many. I don't think there is. I don't, I don't think you can name a worse right back. I mean, the the it was interesting. I just had a glance at the table, and I don't think he gets in at right back at any team. Even now, Trippier's broken. Newcastle must yeah. have someone better than him. I, maybe Newcastle. Maybe he, get, <laughs> maybe he gets a start at Norwich. This Mankio, isn't Watford. it? Is it Mankio at Newcastle? Who's uh... maybe Norwich and Watford? He'll get a start, but I don't think anyone else takes him. It's not replacing that, <laughs> 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 Yes, no. there, there you go. And this is a, this is a sad state of affairs that we're in right now. We're asking to try and play Champions League football with absolute Championship trash. What, what, what was and what was our what were our priorities? My priorities for the transfer window were right wing yep. back, centre back, and uh, backup striker. Uh, and and people were kind of saying, Look, "You gave Spurs a bit a bit of a hard time over the transfer window," and I think maybe I did, but but I don't think it was that difficult to find a right wing back better than Matt Doherty, even if we're not going for our first choice, even if we're not going for our fifth choice. You can find a tenth choice right wing back who's better than Matt Doherty, uh, and, and that gives you a genuine option there, uh, um, and, and that's frustrating. And then our centre backs, Conte seemed to sort of just settle for our centre backs midway through the windows. It was a priority for him at the start, and then by the end it wasn't. And I'm, I'm now thinking, why? I mean, Davis had a had a purple patch, but he's kind of he. He's he's still a weak spot in the team. He just is, and Sanchez clearly is. So why did we not buy a centre back? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, so I did. I did the thing for for the BBC saying like we brought in two good players who were available, and it's a good market, and it's a good deal. And I said as much in the podcast as well. But we didn't address these areas, and and the critique I got back, which I think is fair, is like this is this is the January window though. You can't always go for your targets. Yeah. But yeah. But I also wrote a long list of right backs and centre forwards and a not so great list of centre backs and I find it so hard to believe that simply none of those players at all were available mm-hmm. um, in January. I wrote, I, I put Bruni Grimerich down as a centre midfield option and he moved in January. Now, whether that's because Newcastle have fronted up a whole bunch of cash that we would be able to do, you know, maybe fair enough, but I bet at least one of those players could have been available or, or Jed Spence. Or um, his competition for his place, the Cy Jones. Yeah, I mean, I've never thought, I never thought us re-signing Kieran Trippier would have been useful, but it it, it would have been pretty useful. Would have uh, would have really helped with our set pieces too. Um, Bardi, you mentioned running in behind. Question from Arnie: Given all the clamour from Conte to keep hold of Bergvine, why do you think he hasn't started him in our last couple of matches? Considering <laughs> Son has just come back from injury and is out of form. Good question. And and and, and Arnie references Son, but uh, but but Lucas too. I mean, Luke. To be fair to him, Lucas got uh, a decent assist against Southampton and played the the hockey pass for the for the other goal yeah. too. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was he had a pretty rough game against Southampton, but popped up with two at two key moments. So it's like you can't really argue a with that. Third as well, I think. I can't remember when. But there was another good move from him. But but let's not pretend that Lucas has been playing well. Generally, he hasn't been playing well, and and Bergwijn should have seen more minutes. I think. I just think Bergwijn's a significantly better player than Lucas, to be honest. And and he adds what Bardi said: the ability to run in behind. Lucas wants everything to feet. 
He wants everything to feet and then he'll do the running with the ball. Uh, Bergvine offers nice flexibility there. He'll take the ball to feet, but he'll also run in behind. Um, Son's Spidey Senses says, are the fans at the stadium saying boo or boo earns? What's boo earns? I don't no, get it. No, it's a Simpsons no. joke. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Booing at halftime, Wendy. How does it make you feel? It makes me feel really bad. It makes me feel Arsenal-esque. Hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's well And put. that's why it makes me feel bad. <laughs> I don't want us to turn into Arsenal. Uh, when when Arsenal moved into the Emirates, it, uh, uh, their fan base seemed to change and there seemed to be a sense of entitlement about them. And I'm sort of getting glimpses of that happening with Spurs and I don't like it. Oh, no, it. we booed at White Hart Lane as well. Did we, did, was our threshold we... for booing... As low as it currently yeah. is. Did we boo at halftime yes. under bringing in like a one of the best managers in the world? A one all against Southampton at halftime, and we're booing. We're only drawing with Southampton. I don't know. It I mean, seems there is some revisionism. We well, we'd never pointed a, a world class manager, but we booed plenty at, at White Hart Lane. I'm I'm not a booer. It's not my cup of tea. Um, I didn't boo at Southampton or Wolves. I was already in the bar at halftime before the whistle went. So I just yeah, it, it was one of those games that just kind of sucked. The enthusiasm out of you. It was both both the games were like that. Um, but we booed plenty at White Hart Lane. Conti has requested some patience from the fans. He um, and I presume that was in direct response to the booing. Um, well, this 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 is the problem with football at the moment. It's you sit around and you listen, and and there's people talking about why did we build this world class stadium and the rest of it, and it's become that point where people are just so expectant of entertainment and you don't go to football when you don't support Spurs to expect to go and see wins to, to, for us to win every game there was perhaps a period under Pochettino which is not as long as some of us like to think it was where winning games was just something that we did consistently and there was no fear even though there was to be honest and it's that thing that it's the sense of entitlement that we have got which is perhaps a little bit Arsenal that does come with the stadium but right now I think if you're going to watch Tottenham expecting a win you're, you're pretty deluded because the team is in, in a bad place. We just spoke about uh, Doherty wouldn't play from any, would play, wouldn't get in 18 Premier League teams. And I doubt Sanchez would, doubt Winks would. So I think right now the booing is premature, but to think it's a, it's a new thing isn't. But I do think, I contradict myself backwards and forwards, I do think there is a sense of entitlement, which is very Arsenal about our fan base right now. I, I was one of those deluded fans that expected us to beat Wolves even after Southampton, even with Matt Doherty in the team. I, yeah. I saw the lineup and I was like, yeah, I'm happy with that. We're going to win this. It's absolutely fine. Uh, so I, I was uh, I was definitely one of them. And the thing is, my issue with the booing... But that's the pressure points, though. This is... We see... We we do the same. We look at Tottenham, we see a fantastic striker. We see a fantastic forward in Sun. We see a fantastic centre-back in Romero. But the real... The point is that if you start squeezing it, if you press it, it, it crumbles. Like um, in year seven at school with technology, you had to make this bridge. And then you had to hang weights on it. And whoever built the strongest bridge won the competition. And I built this fantastic thing. It looked great. But then as soon as I hang a weight on it, it collapsed because the key points of the, key points of the structure were, were faulty. And I think right now that's the problem with Spurs. Somewhat, somewhere it needs to change. Conte even needs to rebuild and go back to a 4-2-3-1 or something else like that. Because right now with our fullbacks and our midfield, I don't think we can play this formation. I was going to say um, with the booing, I think it's completely counterproductive. I think what we're seeing from some of our players is, is nervousness, um, anxiety, deep anxiety. And you mentioned Sessegnon Vardy. I thought Sessegnon uh, looked, definitely looked anxious. Although I will say just before he got taken off, 
he did play a really nice through ball to Son, which was encouraging. Um, so I thought maybe maybe he was like just starting to come back into the game and then he got taken off, bless him. Uh, hopefully the, the really nice fan response to that will will help him because that was that was lovely that he got applauded all the way around the pitch. It must have been a shit moment for him, but the, I thought the fans handled that really, really nicely. But I think the, the halftime booing is is completely counterproductive. It puts more pressure on the players, which is the last thing they need at the moment, honestly. I think there's enough play on them, for, enough pressure on them from Conte and from themselves without the fans adding to that. I think a, a bit more of a supportive environment. All we can do as fans is support the team. Like, there's no other job you can do. You can demonstrate against the chairman, sure, but we're not going to do that. We've, you know, the, people have tried to drum up support for a Levy out campaign and it's barely, it's barely happened. So the only thing we can do is pay money and support. That's the only possible good you can do to sort of trying to progress the club so you might as well do it if you're in the stadium and I say that as someone who hasn't been in the stadium for three years for various reasons but I would definitely not have been booing had I been there there's this thing this this I I feel like it's a newish thing where when I when I say something that is like non-negative after a loss if I'm like so I tweet out saying like I don't think things are as bad as they seem, right? I don't think that those those two losses suggest like we're you know we're worse than those teams or whatever that kind of thing. Or if I say okay maybe this season's going rougher than we'd hoped with Conte coming in, but I you know I'm really looking forward to next season still and stuff like that. I get told that like I'm I I'm not holding the team to a high enough standard that I'm 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 allowing things to be or what was the phrase they used like I'm accepting mediocrity and it's like. I don't know, there's this idea that if we simply demand more, if we boo more, the team will be better. If we say, no, it isn't good enough to lose, they'll stop losing. <laughs> and I don't... <laughs> or if I tweet the equivalent, it's like, I, I, I can't understand this this idea that, that our negativity will improve the team because we'll be demanding more from Tottenham. Um, I, much more yeah. of the case is if you're cheering your support and you get the team, you can help lift them and maybe we have a comeback in the second half against Wolves. I, th- I think... I think a lot of this comes down to that we we can sit here and we can criticise Tottenham's decision making, and we don't know if they anyone from Tottenham ever listens to this. And it's the same on Twitter. You can you can mention at Spurs official and say why are you so rubbish or everything else. But I do think the the one place where you can actually directly have an impact on what the people are thinking at at a board level is the stadium. Yeah. And we saw that with Nuno with the substitution sure. that. You can so the frustration is magnified because there's the finally there's a, there's a connection to Daniel Levy. Daniel Levy sat right there. There's the guy always behind me, always shouts, "I can see you, Levy. You can see me." And <laughs> um, you, you have that. You could straight away tell Daniel Levy this is not good enough. You could tell Conte this is not good enough because otherwise the players are in their own little bubble, and who knows if they they can feel our frustration. Yeah, but, so I think that is why they resort to booing. But they know it's not good enough. They don't need the, They don't need the fans to tell them it's not good enough. And I'm not saying the fans should pretend that everything's fine. I think that's stupid. I think sure. you know when when you're losing two 0 to Wolves after. 50 minutes or whatever it's pretty obvious that things are not fine I mean the players at that point they looked shell-shocked they looked all of their confidence was sapped and they were and Conte was desperate to get them in for half time and talk to them and organize them and sort them out and do something do something a bit different and and I thought we had a really much better second half as a result of that they don't need the fans to tell them that things are bad they know it's bad and they, and they know if they don't improved. know 
Conte is well equipped to tell them how he feels, right? Uh, and, and he will and from a position of his own of his own brilliance and his own authority. The only th- like, yeah, you, you point out that like, yeah, we we booed uh, Nuno subbing off Lucas, and and that was instrumental in getting him sacked. But it's like <laughs> we don't want Conte sacked, and there's not anything else Levy can really do exactly. in the meantime. <laughs> exactly, it's not like we're in the middle of a transfer window now. These players are. You might not like the players. I think. I think they're fine personally, and and these are the players we've got until until May at least. Um, so so we we've, we've got to, we've got to get behind them and, and and try and support them. And I think I honestly believe they're good enough for top four, and I, I still strongly think we'll we'll do it. I feel I feel like so here's here's the, the the main reason for optimism for me. Kane is looking really good again. Um, yeah, his shots are through the roof. His shots are through the roof, but it's not just the shots. It's it's his. I thought it's really stupid. It's his body language. I think he just looks confident again. He looks like he's More got his self belief back. He went on one run against Wolves, which the fans really got behind, which was phenomenal. It was like proper old Kane, like committing defenders. Um, it was brilliant. Um, and, and I think when you've got a player that good, he's massively underperforming his expected goals this season. But that will hopefully revert to <laughs> revert to the mean, and we'll see more goals. Um, over the coming weeks, and that I think should be enough. I think that should be enough for us. What Conte's done? Yes, we've had some poor defensive performances in the last two, but what he's done is created a structure which actually gets the ball to Kane in and around the box, and that is critical to our success. Yeah. And and ultimately, I, I think Kane in this form is too hot to handle for most of the teams in the league, and the goals will come eventually. So I criticise our approach to the January window and I, I doubled down on it in this podcast, but I think because we are out of Europe, um, we aren't going to have that many more cup games. I think with a little bit of luck with injuries, if we can maintain a dire Romero-Davies back line, mm. um, I think that we can we can have a good run of things. I, I think that we need to improve our depth. Um, we, so I, I think a lot of it is kind of in the hands of luck in terms of, of injuries and suspension. Um, because I, I do think our first eleven is good. It's just outside of that we're maybe struggling a little. I agree. I think the first eleven is uh, is 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 top four quality this season. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and it's like Harry Winks was playing some good football in a in a in a midfield. He looked really good in in a couple of games um, before this run. Um, he looked especially good in midfield three. I, I think there's. I think it's. I think everything's fine. Uh, but then we've got City next, and it's oh yeah. <laughs> if we inevitably lose to City, then everything will feel even worse than fine. It will be the first time in like is it twenty years that we've lost four in a row in the league. Four on the bounce will will look really really bad, won't it? I it definitely won't be as bad as it will feel. I think um, I don't know maybe because it's City, we could get away with a good performance and yeah, a, yeah. a tight loss, but but also we will be memed. For four in a row, but I don't know. It'd be lovely to get something out of that game. I mean, the thing is, it's it's quite a nice game to have next because the expectations are so low. Not now. It, it was a nice game to have next had we won these two and we could have gone into it as a free hit. Now yeah. it's, it's no longer a free agree. hit. True. Yes, now, fair it's, point. now it's about a result. And that's that's a tough thing to do, right? Uh, I, th- I think yeah. um, I think he will change the shape for City. I think he'll go three five two. I don't think he'll necessarily maintain that shape then thereafter. But I think he will go three five two against City, and it'll be interesting to see if he does which three he picks in midfield. Wouldn't be shocked to see a four at the back against City. Mm. 
Gonna let that hang for now. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with Dyer's glutes, though? Why was he working his glutes? Is that where his injury is? I didn't even know what he, what he had injured. I thought he was just a strain or something. Tell Did us what know? you saw. I saw he was doing some glute bridge raises, and he said it's all in the glutes. So um, I was hoping one of you guys might know a little bit more about his bum cheeks. Uh they're the key to all of the other musts. <laughs> I will refer to my um, my Eric Dyer bum cheek expert, Callie, for that. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D. Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.